And this morning, with the help of the Lord, we are going to preach a message that deals with this event, but we're going to be looking at it in a little different way. And I've titled the message today, Faces at the Tomb. And so if you have your copy of God's Word, if you turn to the book of John, John chapter 20, and uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 18, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. We'll go ahead and read our text. Here the Bible says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon, Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulchre and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping, and as she wept, she stooped, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white, sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say master. Jesus said to her, touch, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of your word this morning. Lord, help us as we try to preach on this uh, scripture. And Lord, uh, help us today. Lord, uh, our mind is scattered. Lord, and our, our thoughts are, are having difficulty this morning. And we're praying, God, that you take away all the, the stress factors that's going on. Lord, uh, the business with the live stream, Lord, just blot that out of our thoughts right now. God, help us focus upon what's most important, and that's you, your son, Jesus. Help us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday, being Palm Sunday, we preached that message that we titled uh, Faces uh, um, at the, at, in the Crowd. Faces in the Crowd. And we talked about all the different people that were present during that time when Jesus made his uh, ascension into the city of Jerusalem. And they strawed the palm branches and their clothes in front of them as he rode in on that little donkey. Well, 
Um, we continue with that same thought this morning by looking at faces at the tomb. Now, we didn't have a, a service you know, on Wednesday where I normally would have preached faces at the cross, and we talked about all the people that was around the cross. But here today, being Resurrection Day, we're going to look at these faces that were at the tomb during the resurrection or after it, after the resurrection actually is when all this, this event occurred. And so leading up to our opening text, we find that Jesus has been crucified on a cruel Roman cross. Uh, the previous chapter gives all that information. He was crucified on a hill uh, called Calvary. It was also referred to in the Bible as Golgotha. And that simply means the place of the skull. Uh, I have not been over to the Holy Land. I know several people here recently has been. Uh, my sister got to go and such. But they, they say if you look up on that hill that there's a, uh, it's a, the formation appears to look like a man's skull. And so they believe that be why they uh, named it this. Uh, but we know what all happened after he was, of course, accused and beaten and uh, crucified on the cross. He bled and uh, died, and he said, it is finished. And then they started taking them down. And then all of a sudden we, we see the man that comes up, uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, whom we preached about just a week or so ago, the Pharisee and ruler of the Jews, they came to prepare the body of Jesus to be born into the, uh, to be buried in this unused tomb. The Bible says uh, never a man had been laid in it. So it's a, it's an unused tomb and they're going to bury Jesus in there. Uh, the tomb was then, the Bible tells us was sealed shut and a large stone was put across it and sealed. Now, typically the way that worked was they would take a rope and uh, they would take wax and they would uh, melt it and they would pour it all around and stick the rope in it and cover that with wax. And then they would put the insignia ring of the king or the governor or whoever the, the person in charge was into that so that if that seal got broken, they would know it. Uh, of course, we know what was going on. Uh, they believed that the, the disciples were going to come in the middle of the night, steal Jesus' body, and take him away somewhere so that it would continue on with all these people believing in Christ. Well, we know that's not what happened. It happened a different way. Uh, so, just like Jesus said he would, he rose again from the grave on the third day. Now, you know, I've, I've taught on this, preached on it several times. We don't observe Good Friday because we don't believe that's the day Jesus was crucified. There's no way you can get three days, uh, three days and three nights out of a Friday crucifixion. It's just not possible. It don't matter if you're using the Jewish calendar, the, the Gregorian calendar, the Roman calendar, whatever you're using, three days and three nights does not add up from a Friday crucifixion. So we believe it's a Wednesday. Uh, I can go with Thursday. I, I, I could... I could believe the Thursday uh, crucifixion. We believe it to be Wednesday, uh, the way the, the, the Jewish days and nights were laid out. I've taught on this. You can go on Sermon Audio and pull up that uh, message and, and listen to that. But here in three days and three nights, just like he said he would, just like he said as Jonas was in the belly of the well, three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be. And so that's what happened. And on that third day, the angel of the Lord came and rolled the stone away. Now, the Gospel of Matthew gives us just a little more insight on this particular event in Matthew 28, verses 2 through 4. Matthew 28, 
verses 2 through 4. The Bible says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, notice the Bible never says that when the stone was rolled away that Jesus came out. He didn't come out when the stone was rolled away. He was already gone. So Jesus didn't have to have the stone rolled away to come out of the grave. The reason the angels rolled the stone away is so everyone else could look in and see that he's gone. <laughs> and so uh, now we get back to our opening text in John chapter 20, verse 1. Now that all these events have played out, then this is what happens. John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark, under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. All right, so the first face we see at the tomb, other than the angels, and the angels are part of that, the first face we see is Mary Magdalene. All right? That's what the Bible says, Mary Magdalene. Now, the Gospel of Matthew tells us that also the other Mary, another Mary came, Matthew 28, 1, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, who's the other Mary? Well, the Gospel of Mark, Mark 16 and 1 tells us, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, or Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. So who do we have? We have the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome. So, um, now, some people believe that's possibly three different women, Salome and the Mary, uh, uh, mother of, of James and Mary Magdalene. But regardless, we've got a bunch of Marys at the tomb. <laughs> and so we find these devoted followers of Christ, and you can read a lot of different books on this. There are so many people that make up this, this fiction um, about, about the events and what all happened. And they try to connect several different passages of Scripture to fit their uh, what they believe happened, their conclusions, their speculation. And so some try to say that uh, one of the women, or Mary Magdalene, uh, was one of the women the Bible tells us about that had the alabaster box of perfume that broke the box and anointed Jesus' feet and wiped it with her hair and you know, her tears and all this. Um, some say she was the woman that was getting married at the marriage of Cana when Jesus turned water into wine. Uh, many people refer to her as a prostitute. They say that old Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. And some has even made the wild accusation that she was Jesus' secret wife, that they were secretly married and, and all this. Well, the truth is the Bible doesn't say any of that about Mary Magdalene, nothing at, at all about any of that. In fact, all it really says is that she had seven devils and Jesus had cast them out. <laughs> and we see from her life that she was a devoted follower of Christ because of this. Anything other than that is pure speculation and just a, a wild imagination of someone trying to embellish things that don't need embellishment. The Bible does not need to be embellished. It's exciting enough without it. So, we know from the other Gospels that Mary had came to the tomb to anoint the body of Jesus, that's the whole reason, with sweet spices. Now, this was a type of embalming. Now, here, we'll, we'll get sent over to Minot's uh, funeral home, and they'll 
take us in a room and they'll fill us full of some kind of liquids, pump it full of, uh, what's that stuff called? Formaldehyde (laughs) and uh, embalm us, embalming fluid. Um, They didn't have that then. In fact, they didn't embalm bodies. Really, the Jews didn't. Uh, The Egyptians did. And some of the early New Testament uh, saints did. Um, Who was it? Was it um, Abraham? Perhaps um, anyway, there were other people, some people in the in the Bible that were, um, you know, embalmed. But the Jews didn't do that because they buried the bodies so fast uh, the same day. Uh, but they would uh, cover them with these sweet spices and things to help keep the smell down and all that. And they would anoint the body. And uh, so she was doing these things for him because she loved him. There was no other reason to do that. Why else would you go to a dead body and anoint it with these sweet spices, which would have cost some money? And uh, she had prepared this before because she comes out uh, on on the Sabbath or the day after it, uh, the first day of the week. So she had prepared all this beforehand, had bought the spices and, and got ready for it. And so she was without doubt in his debt. She felt in his debt because of what he had done for her. And she loved him, and she was a faithful servant. Now, one thing you want to take notice of in the Bible, that the Bible mentions that it was women that came out to check on the body of Jesus first. Women. No men were present there except for the guards who had done about had a heart attack and fell down out of fear because of the angels. Uh, but uh, the disciples were not there. And why not? Didn't Jesus tell them numerous times? that uh, he would raise again in three days. Over and over and over, he told them that. In fact, Jesus has mentioned the three days 21 different times in the Bible, not specifically referring to uh, the three days he would arise, but he kept telling them that he was going to arise, he was going to come back, and the Son of Man is going to be taken away and killed, and but he will return. And so you would have thought that perhaps at least Peter, James, and John would have came and camped out around the tomb you know, to see what's going to go on. But no, they were not there. It was the women that had Jesus on their minds and hearts. You know what the disciples were doing at this time? They were hovering around in a house, all huddled up together, afraid for their lives. They thought, well, there was a price on their head. Uh, They were going to be arrested if, if seen. And so they were all cowering down in this house, all scared to death and worried about themselves without a thought about going and checking on the body of Jesus. And you know, that doesn't really surprise me that these women were the ones that came out. I believe half the churches in Knox County would shut down if women quit going because there's not enough men with enough backbone to keep the place running or enough sense either. And so women are very important in in God's, uh, um, his plan. They are always supportive of the church. They are always have the heart for the Lord. And so I'm thankful for faithful women. And if you want to get something done right, you need to get a woman involved because they'll keep you on track. Well, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the wife of of Zebedee, were up early checking on Jesus because they loved him. And so they were the first two faces that we find at the tomb. Look at verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter. And to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and said unto them, let's stop for a second. Now, in the Gospel of John, you keep seeing that, the disciple whom Jesus loved. 
That is the gospel writer John himself, the one, the human penman of this gospel, referring to himself. It's, I guess it's kind of like a, a humble thing. You know, instead of saying, you know, it was Peter and me, or Peter and, and John, you know, the greatest disciple. No, he just says the one whom Jesus loved, and referring to himself. And so, pick up there, it says, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they've laid him. Peter, therefore, went forth, and that other disciple... Again, this is John talking about himself, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter. So instead of John bragging, saying, yeah, I outrun Peter, he says that other disciple outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulcher. So the next faces we see at the tomb are the faces of two of Jesus' most faithful disciples, his inner circle, those he trusted over all of them. They were there, they were present during all the, the main events, all the main miracles, everything that Jesus did. Those were there, Peter, James, and John. And so we see that Peter and John are the first ones, uh, men that's mentioned that's been there. And I find it interesting, really, that Peter is still hanging out with the other disciples. Don't you? Didn't he just recently deny Christ three times? Uh, yeah, so... Uh, it's surprising he could even face the other disciples. Did they come and, and pull him up and say, look, Peter, we understand what you've done. It's all right. You know, we, we forgive you. Just come on back and help us out. We need another fisherman. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, he's there with them. Uh, maybe he had to swallow a lot of pride to come back. You know, maybe come back and knock on the door and said, guys, look, you know, I messed up. I really did. I now realize what I did was wrong. And, you know, would you take me back? We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us the details. It just says that Peter was there along with John. And so, um, you know, before we start giving him too much credit, let's, let's not forget that we don't read of any of the other disciples sticking around either. I mean, John was the only one the Bible mentions at the foot of the cross. And so the other disciples, they took off running like, like a dog with his tail between his legs, you know. And so the Bible says that both Peter and John were running to the tomb. They ran. John even mentions the fact that he outran Peter. So these guys are really getting it. Uh, we believe that Peter was older than John. John was younger, so he probably was more spry and was able to run a lot better. Um, but I don't know why he had to add that information. It seems, you know, kind of odd, you know, about that. Does it really matter? I don't know. Um, I have heard messages of people talking about it and why John outrun Peter. You know? uh, a lot of people get a lot of strange things on their mind. But anyway, there's a lot of theories about it. It doesn't matter. What's important to notice is that they were running. You don't run for nothing. If you see me running, you know there is a reason. I'm not going to run for my health, okay? I just ain't going to do it. Uh, I, if you see me running, there's a snake. There's a hornet. Um, that time that I was at the lake a few years ago, and uh, those uh, yellow jackets came swarming me. I ran. I ran. Man, I ran, and then they hit the ground and rolled, and uh, that was a, a, an exciting time. But uh, you're not going to find me running for no reason. These guys are running for a reason. They are excited about the news. Now, they don't quite believe Mary at this point. They don't believe that Jesus is missing. And that's one of the reasons they're running, because they probably have in the back of their mind, 
what have they done with Jesus? Somebody's done something. Somebody's up to something. So they're running to see. And uh, they were excited, of course. And they want to see, they've got to see for themselves. Look at verse 5. And he, stooping down and looking in, of course, again, this is John talking about himself. He's stooping down and looking in, <clears throat> uh, saw the linen clothes lying, yet when he not in. So, in other words, John didn't go into the sepulcher. He just squatted there outside the door. Verse 6, Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. All right. So, another difference that I notice here between Peter and John is the fact that John stopped at the door, stooped, and looked into the tomb. He didn't go in at first. Was he afraid? Did he not want to contaminate evidence? Uh, what was he doing there? Did he work for the CSI? But uh, Peter probably almost knocked John down to get in there because we know what Peter does, right? Who's going to be the first one to step out of a boat in the middle of the ocean? going to be Peter. Who's going to be the first one to jump in the tomb, even destroying all the evidence? It'd be Peter. Uh, who's going to open their mouth and stick their foot right in it? It's going to be Peter. And so he barrels in there. And, uh, you know, you can say what you want about him, but, you know, I, I like Peter's attitude. Uh, he's just a, a go-after-it guy. He's always the first to open his mouth whenever something's on the disciples' mind. Everybody else is back here speaking among themselves, you know, uh, and talking about, oh, I wonder what he meant by that. What is that. And Peter says, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? What do you mean? You know, well, I don't understand. And so I like how, how Peter operates. And, you know, the, the Lord has a, a place for everyone, you know. Uh, the gospel's not just for a select few people. The gospel's not just for people that's went to church all their lives or people that was born and raised in the Bible Belt or people that know every hymn uh, that's in the hymn book. No, it's for everyone. The gospel's for everybody. Uh, there's some churches that won't allow uh, some people to come in. They don't want people in there that's not like them. And so they discourage outsiders from coming in. They want to exclude anybody that's different. And look, I don't care if you're red, yellow, black, or white. It doesn't matter to me. If you want to know about the Lord, you're welcome. Hey, all right, verse 8. I don't know how I got off on that path, but uh, Peter, he was different. All right, Verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, John again, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. All right, so... We see there that they didn't believe Mary at first. So to see for themselves, they've got to lay their own eyes on it, you know. And so they look in, and sure enough, now they believe. And so John gets up the nerve to go in there and look. And um, he, he now says, that, and they believed. Verse 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. All right, now that right there is very interesting. Because we know from reading the Gospels, Jesus has told them over and over and over and over. But yet John writes here, they didn't know the Scripture. What's he mean? Well, they never really understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. And like I said, you know, they would, they would get together and they uh, discuss amongst themselves and they didn't know what Jesus meant. They were afraid to ask him and everything else. Um, the reason they didn't understand is because they didn't completely understand the prophecy that had been given about the Messiah who would raise from the dead. And so they didn't connect the dots. 
The Old Testament gave insight to the fact that the Messiah would resurrect. And there's several passages. Let me give you a few. Uh, Psalm 16 and 10. The Bible says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now we know this is King David writing this. Uh, but this is a picture of the Messiah. And uh, it's, it's difficult for us to, to connect that. It was difficult for them. They, they didn't connect it. Uh, Psalm 49, 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Selah. Again, another indication of the Messiah who would be received. Uh, he would not be left in the grave. Uh, here's one of the best ones. Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. So if you, if you look at this, these passages of Scripture like this and uh, realize that there's a parallel to the New Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is a shadow of what's to come. The New Testament casts light on that shadow and reveals the truth from it. Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy de destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. So, you know, you can't fault the disciples for not connecting the dots. I mean, that's that's difficult stuff. You know, maybe the Apostle Paul, uh, he could probably go back and connect all those dots, but these fishermen, no, they, they just didn't have the, the knowledge to them. Now, they had the leadership of the Holy Spirit, enough that they knew that Christ was the Messiah, that he was their Savior. They understood that, but they didn't quite understand all this other. Um but Jesus did tell him several times about his impending death, and he did mention the three days over and over and over. All right, let's go back to verse 10 back in John. Uh, then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. All right, so we see other faces that were at the tomb the, this day, the two angels. There's two angels there. Um, I wonder why Peter and John didn't see the angels when they went in. Did they make themselves uh, invisible when those two came? <clears throat> I don't know. Did they wait till after they left to, to suddenly appear? I don't know, but... When Mary shows up again, she sees them. Uh, you know, this Mary was often privileged to see things that a lot of people didn't get to see. And so uh, in Scripture, John chapter 14, verse 21, the Bible says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I and will manifest myself to him. And so there's a connection there with the love that Mary had for Jesus, I believe, her obedience to him, that Christ allowed her to see things that some people didn't get to see. You know, I believe there's things like that in our life that we don't see because we don't have our spiritual eyes open. I don't think we notice a lot of things that God does 
and we rack it up to circumstance or happenstance instead of seeing the big picture, and that is that the Lord caused this to happen. You know, God does things in our life all the time. Uh, could it be that uh, those that see those things and recognize them are actually seeking him and looking for those things? Are they looking for signs? Um, you know, back uh, when I was younger, I would uh, I would listen to people give their testimony of what God had done for them and all this stuff, and I would think to myself, why doesn't why doesn't He do those things for me? Why I don't ever notice any of that stuff that they're talking about. You know, somebody come in and tell this um, you know fascinating story of, of something that happened, how God had orchestrated it and all, and and but I was sitting there thinking, I don't I don't ever see nothing like that, um, and I didn't understand. Uh, but God was doing things in my life. I just wasn't looking for them. I wasn't observing them. I wasn't recognizing them because I was looking more on the inside, on the flesh part of it, than the spiritual. And when you start looking at things spiritually, you'll start seeing those things that God does for us. Uh, what's that song? Count your blessings, name them one by one. What do we do? We get up and count all of our miseries one by one. If we start counting our blessings and seeing what God has done for us, uh, it'd be it'd be a great thing. Uh, one of our former church members, Sister Shirley Mason, she used to say it's a God thing, and she finds things all everything that she does. It seems that she sees God's hand working in it, and uh, you know we ought to all have these God stories. We just need to open our eyes, look at things the way spiritual eyes, and see that uh, you know God is working. And so, yes, the angels were also faces that were at the tomb that day. Now, those guards that were outside there, uh, when they first came and the earthquake happened and they rolled the stone away, they probably didn't want to see those angels because they were uh, afraid. All right, verse 13. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they've taken away my Lord, and I know not where they've laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, her, Touch me not. For I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. So, another face that was at the tomb that day, even though it already come out, was Jesus. Jesus was present at the tomb. And what a privilege it was for this woman to be able to witness him there with her own eyes as he appeared to her. He didn't have to do this. Obviously, he wanted to do this. He was recognizing her as someone who was obedient, someone that loved him, and he was he was uh, helping her. And so you can only imagine the thrill that it gave Mary when she recognized that this man speaking to me is Jesus. Nobody else would be able to talk to me this way. Nobody knows me like Jesus does. And so no doubt she attempted to, to throw herself around his feet. She probably wanted to reach down and grab, grab his feet, and he tells her, don't touch me. 
Do not touch me. I have not yet ascended to my father. Um, but go to the brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my father, your father, to my God, your God. So uh, he he didn't want her to, to uh, touch him, but he wanted her instead to rush and tell the disciples that he was risen. Now, look, I know I say this a lot, but it bears saying again, if it were not for the fact that Jesus came out of the tomb, there would be absolutely no reason for us to even be here this morning. There'd be no reason for Porch Light Baptist Church. There'd be no reason for Highland Baptist Church or Northside Baptist or Outreach Baptist or any of these churches. No reason if Jesus had not resurrected, it'd be all for nothing. And we can uh, close the message by reading what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, look at verses 12 down through 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 22. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain. And your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So really the resurrection of Christ is the central theme of the Bible. It's, it's really the most important thing to understand about Jesus is his resurrection. It's the foundation in which we place all of our faith. Without the resurrection, there's no faith in Christ. There's no reason to have it. Uh, without the resurrection, just as Paul said, our preaching is vain, our faith is in vain, and the worst part is we are yet still in our sins. We've not been forgiven if Christ never resurrected. But I'm thankful for that verse 20 where Paul says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and became the first fruits of them that slept. So those that passed on that believed in Christ, he's the first fruit of that and they're going to rise. They're going to uh, also be in heaven with us. But I'm thankful today that we are not... Uh, worshiping in vain, that I'm not standing here preaching in vain, and that I am not yet still dead in my sins. I am thankful for that. Now, I know there may be those that are listening, perhaps online today, that have, has never trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Uh, the, the truth is, if you do not trust Christ to save you, if you don't call on His name, Believe in the finished work of Christ on the cross. That he came here, he died for your sins, that he was buried and he rose again in three days. And that, my friends, is the gospel. If you can simply believe that and call upon the Lord's name in repentance, repent from your sins and trust Christ to save you, 
He will save you. And so if you've not ever been saved today, if the Lord's dealing with you, if the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart, you need to do something. You need to do it right now. This may be your last opportunity. There may not be another Resurrection Sunday that we have here on this earth. This may be the last time uh, you have breath in your body. And don't make it be uh, your last time on earth before you go to hell. Make it be your last time before you reach heaven. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning thanking you so much for the message. Lord, thank you for the fact of the resurrection. Thank you for our faith that it's not in vain. Thank you for our preaching. It's not in vain. Lord, most of all, thank you for cleansing us from our sins and all unrighteousness. God, thank you for saving us. Lord, for those out there that may not be saved today, may the Holy Spirit convict their heart and show them that they must be saved, they must be born again if they ever expect to reach the kingdom of God, to ever stand in your presence and in heaven. God, help them today. Lord, help us as a church be faithful to you. Lord, always be in your will and in your way. And we'll give you the glory for it all. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.